Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Hi there. This week we're rebroadcasting an episode with Kristen Cooper of the Startup Ladies. It's a little bit timely because we first recorded this about a year ago. And uh, this week, Kristen sent out an awesome email highlighting startup competitors and uh, showcasing some of the people from the Startup Ladies community that we've interviewed over the last year. I just want to run down that list real quick because it's an awesome lineup. Kicked it off with Kristen uh, about a year ago. And in that time, we talked with Wes Winham from Woven, Marie Maher from Synapsitters, Josh Driver from Selflessly, Christine McDonald from Codelicious, Sherry Coffer from Open Books MD, Carrie Griffith with Little Nugget, Latoya Johnson with Away Zones, Dr. Kim Saxton, who co-authored The Titanic Effect, Max Yoder with Lesson Lee, and Megan Lohman with Plan Forward. Just an awesome lineup of companies. I can't wait for this year's lineup from the Startup Ladies. Uh, I got to get more of them on the podcast. So please enjoy this episode. It's a great organization. Love what they're doing. Can't wait to have more of them on the podcast. And we'll be back next week with some original content. Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast. Today, we have Kristen Cooper, who's the founder and CEO of Startup Ladies. Welcome. Thanks, Mike. All right. Why don't we start with a quick overview of Startup Ladies? The Startup Ladies is a for-profit membership organization, and our job is to increase the number of women who are starting up and scaling businesses. And we do that by providing educational programs in person and online. We create community. And what we're doing is identifying and educating the next wave of startup investors. We're teaching them how to invest, and then we're connecting them to women and minority-owned businesses. Maybe let's start with the how you got here story. So when did Startup Ladies start and why? And I'd love to hear the founding story. Yeah. So I was working for a software development firm out of a co-working space, and there were not very many women. And at the time, I was wrapping up a technology project that I had started and had so much fun with. And in fact, had such a good time. The founders of the software development firm invited me to come work with them And they promised they'd really teach me how to build technology and I would help them grow their network and help them with things operationally. So while I was there, I was really interested in finding other women that wanted to build technology and start up scalable businesses. And back in 2014, there were so few women here in Indianapolis that were in the tech space, let alone leading tech companies. So I was really just in search of women that had similar passions. So what happened was one day I was negotiating a contract in the ladies' room of a co-working space with someone who I kept bumping into in the ladies' room. And what would happen is we would be washing our hands and just catching up with one another. And one day I had mentioned a project that we were working on and we figured out that we could work on it together. And I said to my friend, you know, I think we could be a little more civilized and maybe we could start going to lunch. And I said, I've met a couple of other gals here in the ladies room because what I was doing was the sinks faced the door 
And since there were so few guys and I wanted to meet other women in the space, when they walked in, I would just introduce myself. And so it was friendly and then led to business one day. And so I was like, I'm going to invite a couple of the gals that I've met in here. We'll just go to lunch and it'll be nice. This is the best founding story ever, by the way. Like, (laughs) fantastic. So we went to lunch and I invited seven people, women, and only three of us showed up. But we really had a great time. We had a great conversation and we all agreed it was so much fun. We do it again. And I said, well, I'm going to invite some of those folks. And I said, there's some other women I know in the community that I think would just enjoy spending time with us. And if it's just once a month, no big deal. And so we, I kept doing these, these lunches and they kept growing because the purpose was to just get together, talk about business. And I kept asking women, one, did they want to start a business? Two, did they have any interest in building technology and what was stopping them? And those three questions caused so many amazing conversations. And we just kept bringing more people on. And someone who's been a great mentor to me, who was starting up 1150 at the time, uh, Scott Jones said, Hey, you know, I see that you're working in tech and I hear you're doing something with women and entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm starting up 1150 Academy and, you know, we're hosting different groups over here. You want to bring your group over for lunch. And even then, you know, Scott Jones, I mean, he scaled voicemail, right? An invitation like that from Scott Jones is something that you only say, oh my gosh, yes, and thank you. And I said, can I bring a few extra people? And he said, sure. So we had 70 people at his house for lunch. A few extra. Yeah. So he (laughs) paid for lunch and then he stayed the whole time. And we... He was answering every question that everyone in the room had. It was just so much fun. But then it was after that, people were like, hey, you know, we heard that you had like a big group of people over at Scott's house. What are you going to do next? And I was like, well, I think I'm done. Like, that was it. Like, we we had a big group and that was successful. And Yao Anning said to me, he's like, I think this is the time where you go do something with this. And I said, well, you know, this is fun and I've enjoyed their company, but I really don't want to be a a lunch, lunch and events planner. I said, what I want, and I just started listing off these things as far as trying to have a better understanding how to build a scalable startup. And I said, yeah, I wish there was like a place where I could go and and learn from all these people that I've met. And I was like, I need like a, a study hall, like about startups. And I was like, I need like a startup study hall. And he said, why don't you just go do that? So because I had been a fundraiser for almost 20 years, I had built up a a nice Rolodex and I made a list of all the things I wanted to learn. And I had about 70 different topics. And then I put a list of all the people I knew that were experts in those areas. And I just sent them emails. And I was like, hey, I know a bunch of women that would like to learn about this. And we're interested in... We're just noodling on the idea of building businesses. And could you come and just teach us this one thing for like an hour and a half? And so the first woman I asked, she's on our board now, Julie Warnicke. She owns Found Search Marketing and she worked at Google and helped develop Google Ads. And she taught our first startup study hall on search engine optimization and search engine marketing, which I knew nothing about at the time. And so we enjoyed ourselves and we thought, well, this is great. We, we, we need to keep learning. But the thing that we knew for sure is that we needed structure, consistency, and accountability. The same thing that 
all these moms were providing their children to become scholars and athletes and musicians and artists, but they weren't doing it for themselves. And so we thought, what if we provided that? So we spent three years doing these startup study halls the first and third Wednesday of the month. And we had waiting lists. And we had so many people come that people were saying, hey, we would pay you for this. I can't believe you're doing this for free. So I had put a board together that was purely advisory. And they said, hey, you can you can keep doing this and you're going to burn out or you can really commit to it and start solving some of the really big problems that women founders have. So two Mays ago, I left Sticks and Leaves to do the Startup Ladies full-time. And so now, not only are we providing programming through Startup Study Hall, we've also got a program called Startup Investing 101. And we're working with, doesn't matter, women, men, transgender, gender-fluid people that have an interest in investing in startups but don't know how. And so they've got capacity to invest at least $5,000. And one of the biggest obstacles, particularly for women and minority-owned startups, is that these folks don't have networks of wealthy people. So while it might be really easy for a lot of guys to go get 50, a couple hundred thousand dollars, like it's tough for women that don't have networks. They don't have family members or close friends that can write checks for twenty five dollars or $50,000. And that's what I want to change. So what we're trying to do is raise awareness about the obstacle, identify people who have the capacity to write checks, educate them about startup investing, and then connecting those funders to our founders. And last year, in our fo- first cohort, we had, we had about 20 investors. Not all had made their investments yet. But we moved $60,000 from the funders to the founders. And one of my favorite stories of, of financial success is Christine McDonald, who's the CEO of Code Delicious, who hopefully you'll interview sometime. But she was able to secure $50,000 from two, two of our women investor members. So now we're tackling the problem of women who typically have some form of college education They tend to be parents, incredibly busy, came up with an idea because they became an expert in their particular industry. They came up with a solution to solve the problem and they have no idea how to build a business. They have no idea how to build tech. So they're looking for a community. They're looking for someone to teach them how to build a business and technology. They're looking for people to just tell them, what do I do next? And then they're looking for funding. And so those are the challenges that we're addressing. So the really big problems female founders have, community, education, guidance, and funding. Yes. Anything else missing from that? Yes. Bring it. I was just writing a grant application and they said, what's the number one thing that surprised you in the work that you've been doing with entrepreneurs? So you're a really good conversationalist and you can ask a question and you get someone to open up. Well, in my line of work as a fundraiser, I spent 20 years doing that. And so when I would see one of the gals at Startup Study Hall, I'd run up to her and I'd be like, hey, so-and-so, how are you? Last time I saw you, you told me you were working on this. Give me the update. Something as simple as that would go from update to here's what's really going on to... Oh my God. And sometimes it would be a very tearful explanation of what they were feeling. 
And I would say that not only was this happening with women at Startup Study Hall, but throughout my career, this was happening with men too. So after this happened so many times, I went to my board and my therapist and I said, I'm making people cry left and right. I need you to help me to figure out what I'm doing because I need to change it. And so they said, explain exactly what you're doing. And I said, I would be in a situation where we're having a good time. And I would say something along the lines of, how are you? What's going on? Last time I saw you, you were doing this. What's up? And and then tears. And so I thought, okay, I am not being aggressive. I'm not saying anything mean. But what I learned was I had created a safe space for them to talk. I understood them as a person. I understood their business. I understood how to build technology and the business space. So they were opening up. But it was happening so much. I was going to my therapist and I was like, this is too much crying in my life. I, I don't want to you know, be the shoulder for everyone. And so I kind of did the same thing that I did with Startup Study Hall. I made a list of all the problems that people kept complaining to me about. And then I took the list and this was like about 50 or 60 different issues. And I took them to two therapists with PhDs in psychology And they said, this is interesting. They said, categorize these different problems. Kind of like in a hospital, you're going through triage. So I had to categorize them, which I did. And then I gave them back to them to do it the correct way. And so some themes popped up. There were major issues with stress, anxiety, power, race, and gender uh, dynamics. There were also some issues around caregiving and the responsibilities that were more weighted with women than their their male counterparts. And so what we knew for sure was that there was a lot of emotional suffering going on and nobody was really talking about it. And while I am the biggest believer in that every human being on earth should have a therapist, there's a lot of stigma around mental illness and mental wellness. In fact, some people can't even call it mental illness. They they need you to say mental wellness. So until we have a society that teaches humans from the time they just arrive until adulthood, how to understand themselves and the behavior of others around them, we're going to keep bumping into one another and hurting one another. So it made sense to me that not only were we teaching the business of how to build a business and technology, we had to figure out what are the psychological problems that entrepreneurs are facing And what can we do to create educational opportunities for them to better understand themselves and their employees and their investors and their boards and all the people that they're doing business with so that they can be healthier? And there's so much talk around creating healthy corporate cultures. And I think a lot of the expectations are completely unrealistic. Managers aren't trained to really understand human behavior. A lot of humans aren't given the opportunity to fully actualize. They're not given the opportunity to really show up as themselves where they go. So there's all this suppression, or I should say, there are all these maybe unaddressed feelings that are suppressed. And then how do you expect that person to come to work and inspire others and create safe spaces? It's impossible. So we don't really have a culture where we're talking about those things. And so we thought we can address these things. We can create a space where experts come in, break it down, 
talk about the chemistry that's going on in the brain, talk about the behaviors, help them better understand what and why they're doing what they're doing, as well as the people around them, and then give them tools to immediate apply so that they can begin to feel differently about themselves and create relationships that are healthier. That's a great... Man, I got so much I want to unpack there. Okay. I want to... Before I go to the next question, I just want to share one story to maybe empathize with your experience. Yeah. So I'm a big uh, book giver. It's one of my favorite things to do. If I have somebody where like as a as a thank you or as a clear next step, if there's a, an immediate thing that I can you know pull a book off the shelf, like if, if somebody's struggling with sales, I'll give them pitch anything. If somebody's struggling with coming up with ideas, I'll give them zero to one or you know whatever, right? Like that, for me, there's like there, I just have this short list of books that I can that I can give that makes me feel better. One of my complete go tos when somebody is like in that early messy stage of starting a business is uh, Resilience by Eric Greitens. And Resilience is like a... It's a really tough book to read. It's... you know Greitens is a former Navy SEAL who's writing a series of letters to one of his best friends who's dealing with alcoholism and, and coming back into life and, and stuff like that. And it's a it's this beautiful series of, a series of, of letters that touch on like economics and stoicism and philosophy and like and and just life and, yeah. and how it's messy, right? Yep. You know, when I read that book, it I read it at the perfect time for me, really hit me in the right way. And I've I've tried to read it every year since. And so it's one of my go-tos when it's like, you know, after you and I've had a couple of meetings and you're like, yes, yeah, it's just really hard. Yeah. This would be the book I would send you, right? Yeah. With a handwritten note of yeah. of why. This has never failed me. Every time I send that book, I will get either a ridiculous letter back of mm. like everything that's going on in that person's life, professionally yeah. and personally, or a phone call. Uh, well, and I've seen your wall of letters. You yeah, have hundreds thanks. of letters on your office wall. Um, or, or Mostly thank yous. Or this ridiculous phone call uh, where somebody will, you know, start sharing with me what's really going on in their life that's, you know, happening behind all the stress of a startup. And like, for me, this is great for two reasons. One, you know, in theory, through a book I didn't even write, I got to helps them out a little bit, which yeah. is, you know, at the time that they need it, which is great. Two, and more importantly, like selfishly for me, this is affirming, right? Like, yeah. oh yeah, they don't have it figured out either, right? Like, <laughs> like it turns out they're screwed We're up as I am. Broken. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Like, let me just, Dora Lutz, who's a common dear friend of mine, she she said this great thing to me. I was, I was struggling a, a few weeks ago and I, I was texting back and forth with her and she's like, look, She's like, I'll just come there and sit with you and we can just wallow in it together. We don't even have to fix it. Right. Like to me, that was just great. It was like, this is great visual. Like here's somebody who cares about me enough to just come and wallow in it with me. Right. Like, yeah, that's a good friend. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, and so for me, it like creates these moments of like, well, you know, at least I can be there and wallow with them and, you know, help them through it. So anyway, that, like that, what that experience that you had. I think is not unique. It is probably a little bit unique, but it, it's it's not unique to just the sphere of entrepreneurs you're interacting with. I think that is a universal thing. The stress of trying to start a business for the first time and figuring out what that means. And I'm I'm now literally swimming upstream in all these different ways. And it creates all these downstream problems because yes. it, 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 finances touch everything you do, right? Like they touch all your relationships. They touch... All these obligations and like, and if you're starting your own business, you don't have money, right? And, and so, like, it just amplifies all the problems in your life, and you and like they're interacting with you at that time, yeah. right? Where everything has now been amplified. 
So anyway, I wanted to share that. It's hard. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome that you do that. We need more people doing that for people. But what a great way to inspire somebody else. Send them a book and a note. I mean, that just makes their day. First of all, we get so little snail mail. So what a, a great way to make someone feel better. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. I, so I wanted to jump a little bit based on the last thing you were talking about, which made me, and I, I know the answer to most of this, but I actually think you might say some things that surprised me though. So what is Startup Ladies today? Like tactically, if I become a Startup Ladies entrepreneur or if I become a Startup Ladies investor, what is my experience? Is that a series of uh, of regular occurring events. Is there technology there that I'm logging into? Is there like what what is it today? Yeah, it's both of those things. So we continue doing the startup study halls. Where tonight I'm going to listen to Ryan Brock, who's the CEO of Metonymy Media, and he's going to be talking about how you can really connect with your customers in a way that keeps them, and you can be more predictive about what they want, so you don't just retain them, you grow with them. And how you represent yourself and the story of the company is really important for the long term. And so he's going to teach us that. And so many of our entrepreneur members, as I mentioned, they're experts in a particular industry. And it's awesome that you've come up with a problem that needs to be solved. But as you well know, there are so many different departments around solving that problem, right? Maybe you're really good at sales, but what about the marketing and the technology and, and all of those other things? So at Startup Study Hall, this is where you're not going to become an expert. However, you are going to increase your knowledge base so that you become competent and confident in yourself to make good decisions about different areas of your business that you know so little about. And the community is amazing. I mean, everybody always has a great story. And so you're physically there with people. And we also have a, a private Facebook page online. So people share celebrations. They're sharing opportunities for funding. They're sharing articles and videos. And, you know, occasionally I get on there and complain about how I'd rather clean a toilet than do accounting. Like that tortures me. Like we're, we're all good at some things and really dislike other things. Right. So it's that space where you can just like share it and not be judged and not feel less than because when you're in front of investors, right. oh my gosh, it has to be like the shiny penny version of yourself. Right. And that's hard. It's hard to maintain that all the time. So we also launched an online learning platform that we call Startup Study Hall Online in November. So we started recording the Startup Study Halls with these executive mentors. And then what we did was spliced them, provided additional notes and templates. And then this also allows you to ask questions of our team. 
So we're going to use this tool to better prepare people to secure a round of funding. So at some point, we'll say you have to get through each one of these startup study halls. And the cool thing is we have a dashboard which allows us to see how they're moving along the the system. Yeah. So I know that they're learning and that they have the templates that they need in order to go from idea to market and to be better prepared for those conversations with investors. Because why would you be good at that? If you've not been trained, how the heck can you be good at that kind of conversation? So yeah, the combination of the in-person community here in Indianapolis and Terre Haute and Bloomington, and then the Facebook page where we're talking every day, and then the online learning platform, it's it's given us a, a lot of great ways to communicate, to learn, and to grow together. That's awesome. Yeah. You had said earlier, I think the quote was 70, 70 areas, 70 topics that you wanted to learn more about. And that yeah. was one of the things that really sparked it for you. So like right now, what are the the two or three topics that have you the most jazzed that you're investing time in personally and learning more about? Okay. Well, I, it's funny. I was just watching a show called Grace and Frankie. And there was a scene where uh, this, oh my gosh, RuPaul comes on and um, they're, they're having this disagreement. And Frankie says, damn it, I am going to be friends with you no matter what, even though they're at odds with each other because she likes and respects them, even though they're disagreeing. So I feel like I have that relationship with finances right now. While I don't really enjoy it, I'm really interested in becoming good at multi-year projections. It's something that you have to become good enough at in order for investors to want to sign a check and hand over their money. So while I understand it, the big picture level, but you know, I'm working in, in QuickBooks on financial statements that I have not worked on before. It's not sexy. It's painful for me, but I understand the benefit of it. So I'm I'm making peace with it and getting closer to it, despite the fact that it's torture. Uh, I think the other areas that I'm curious about are opportunities to further discover how we approach conversations around mental wellness. I think that the platform that we're utilizing that we've we launched in November can be a great place for people to dive deep on topics that they may be uncomfortable talking with a manager, their friends, an investor, a board member. So it's a place where you know you can be in your PJs at home and do a deep dive on, okay, I'm I'm really feeling a type of anxiety I haven't experienced before and walking them through that. So I have a really deep interest in exploring more develop developing more curriculum around mental wellness and and the challenges that entrepreneurs face. And then the thing that we were just talking about before the show, I think most of my life I've wrapped up my identity and work so on a personal level, despite the fact that I'm working like crazy to right. grow the startup ladies, I want to spend more time pursuing some of the fun things in my life instead of spending almost all of my time on the work things in my life. But if they listen to it, what's this podcast coming up with you and somebody else where you're telling like the really fun stories of yourself? Oh my, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> so the podcast is No Indie, K-N-O-W. And I, who just, they just did a phenomenal episode or it's typically a two-part episode. They just did a great one with Josh Miles, 
well, formerly from Miles Herndon. Josh has moved on to his next thing. And he, he talks about that in the podcast, which is fantastic. I think he, he did, just did a really good job with that. So uh, I will be on the No Indie Podcast, which is done by Steven Tyler, probably sometime in February or March. I'm not entirely sure when it goes live, but my guess is it'll be in the next few weeks. I think the important thing for your viewers to know is that you share things that people ordinarily would not know about you. And they're so interesting. Steven did a good job of uh, catching me flat-footed when we kicked off. And so we went down a couple of tangents. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, he did that very if well. If you like a good story, I would tune into that. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Back to you. Okay. Well done. <laughs> um, okay. So if I'm an investor. Yeah. First, I, what's, I, I'd love to hear the pitch towards investors. Why should I be looking at female founded startups versus other startups like like what give me that quick investor sure. pitch just from a macro level perspective so first female founders get a, a greater return on investment than their male counterparts and pitchbook just released the fact that in 2018 the percentage of vc dollars invested into women owned startups went from 2.19 in 2017 to 2.2 in 2018 so the numbers are still really low so one of the things that we talk about with folks that have the capacity to write checks for at least $5000 are the specific obstacles that women founders deal with. Then we talk about how we're addressing those problems. We also share how we're preparing that entrepreneur to be ready for investment and to lead a scalable startup, which gives the investors confidence. And then we put them together. And so it's actually really easy because we live in this Me Too era where you have a lot of women, especially over the age of 50, they've made their nut either by a successful career, maybe they inherited some money, but they have disposable income and they've got the passion around wanting to see more women start up scalable businesses. So really, it's not difficult to convince people to want to do this. It's just leading them to the opportunity and providing the education so that they can invest in women-owned startups. And if somebody is listening, and, and this isn't the wrap-up question, just feels like a good time to do it. If somebody is listening and they're interested in becoming an investor, perhaps even as a first-time investor, how do they get plugged into the community or with you to, to start that conversation, get involved in one of the, the investor 101 sessions, things like that? What's the best way for them to do that? Visit the website, thestartupladies.org. Send me an email. My email address is Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N at thestartupladies.org. And we would be happy to invite you to a Startup Investing 101 so that you can meet fellow investors and learn how to invest. And then we'll introduce you to some of the most talented women solving really big problems that have large total addressable markets that are going to generate some really significant revenue. Awesome. Flip that. So now if I'm like, at what stage, if if I'm thinking about starting a business, should I be engaging with the startup ladies community? Is that like, don't bother coming unless you've already taken the leap and you're now jobless and destitute and trying to figure <laughs> out how to get a product to market? Is it like, no, it's something I'm interested in doing, but I don't even know what I would do it yet. Like, 
how, how do you or who do you welcome from the community? I mean, I'm sure you welcome everybody, but like, what is the best way for different people along that path to, to engage in the community? So the best thing to do is to register for a startup study hall and keep showing up. If you are a part of a community, then people know when you're there and they know when you're not there. And so if you keep showing up and you keep learning and you keep connecting, you're going to feel better because you've got new friends. You're going to be stretched because you're surrounded by people who are a few steps ahead of you and you're going to be learning. So some of that fear you may have about starting up a company is replaced by knowledge. And that's really powerful. So whether you're thinking, gosh, I really wish I was doing something different. I don't know what. You're a good candidate. If you're noodling on an idea and aren't quite sure if the idea is viable or scalable, come to a startup study hall. If you've started the startup and you're stuck or you're stalled and know you're going to need investment, you definitely need to come. And then those folks that are scaling companies like Marsha Hout, who has sold a couple hundred thousand smart noggin sticks. She creates toys that help uh, children develop their fine motor skills and, and learn object permanence. She's growing with us. So we have so many different types of ideas, products, and service companies that are involved. You will learn, you'll grow, and, and you'll connect with some pretty amazing people. That's awesome. You said a, a quote in there that I wrote down because it, it's an amazing quote. If you're part of a community, then people know when you're there and when you're not there. Yes. That's fantastic. How have you, as so let's talk about your scale up story, started here in Indianapolis. You, you now have chapters in Terre Haute, Bloomington, um, and I'm sure plans for world domination. How, what is it like trying to expand a what is largely a physical community to other physical spaces, right? Because that's not an easy thing to do. I'd love your experiences in doing that and maybe some of your, some of your thoughts on how you're going to continue to do that in the future. So we did a macro and a micro level expansion study this fall. And at first we took a look at things like populations, the way the Kauffman Foundation determines what a viable startup ecosystem is, the number of funds that invest in women and minority-owned companies, the number of companies that have women in the C-suite and on boards. And uh, there were several other pieces of criteria that we looked at at a macro level to determine, is this an environment where women are celebrated, supported, and invested in? Then we dove deeper and we identified 15 cities. And then we started uh, really understanding who the movers and shakers were, who were the developers, the co-working spaces, the funders, the law firms, the players. And the combination of the macro and micro study helped us determine what cities that we would go into next that are very similar to Indianapolis. We also have learned that you need you need a leader who's going to be the face of the organization, who's kind of like the person at like when you go to a networking event and you're so glad that they're there because you know that you're going to be comfortable around them. You need that person. And they don't have to write the best code or 
know everyone. They have to be comfortable in their own skin and make other people feel welcomed and that they can truly be themselves. That person is going to help draw other people in. And that we've done well. Shelly Klingerman's our leader in Terre Haute. Daniel Walter Nolan is our leader in Bloomington. They both have all of those those personality characteristics. And they're naturally good connectors. So what we do is we begin with a small team of volunteers who are well-connected. And then we start inviting people kind of thinking in terms of, you know, orbits, right? And and the the levels around the the center, like the sun. So Shelly and Danielle are the suns in those areas. And then we have lots of planets and stars floating around them. But you keep drawing people in. And, and that's how you build community. And it's very similar to anything else, right? You may have an interest in music or painting or martial arts or dog rescues, whatever the thing is that you're interested in. There are plenty of other people around who are also interested. But if you have that shiny person there that's going to make you feel comfortable, that welcomes they welcome others in. And we have the structure, we have the curriculum. So that's the easy part. It's finding those special people that can be the center of a network. Super interesting. As you were talking, I was replaying a conversation I had in one of my peer groups. I'm in a I'm in a group of a bunch of other consulting companies like ours from around the country. And we were talking about office a couple of years ago. We were talking about at one of our meetings, we were talking about office expansion. So how do you open up a new consulting business in uh, Chicago or a, you know a new office in Atlanta or something like that? And you know we're I want to say we're pretty mid mid sized for that group. There are some companies smaller than us, a couple of companies bigger than us, which is the perfect place to be, right? Because right? you can share right. some experience. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. I feel I feel bad for the guys at the top end where it's like. <laughs> What are all you idiots doing down there? Like, <laughs> hey, we're here to learn from you, buddy. Um, but while we were talking about office expansion, right? Like the, the from the people who've done it, they're pretty much, look, there's two ways to do it. You can go in and buy a smaller consulting company, right? Find that five to 10 person firm, acquire them. Uh, they have a reputation. They have talent. They, you know, hopefully if you're doing it right, if you're buying the right firm that, you know, they have all of these things that you're going to need that you can now build off of and you're b- bringing them a bigger brand, which is going to accelerate their growth. And, like, you know, there's a lot of good things there. Or you can go in and, and, and try to spike the office from the ground up by trying to get the sun, right? You have to find that one person who in the market has such a strong reputation that they are a magnet for the type of talent that you want. Because if they're not, and you're trusting indeed job postings to bring you talent, then you're you're not going to be successful. And, and they they uh, everybody who is bigger than us who has done this shared stories of yep we went into this office and it failed. And we can point to the fact that the the very first developer that we brought on staff was the wrong. Per- they weren't the, they weren't that person, right? They weren't the person that. And it, it, to your point, it has nothing to do with about being the smartest, best developer in the room. Right. It's it's less about that. It's more about their ability to be a connector in the community and attract that talent to them. Right. And it is amazing. While you're saying that, it's like it's the exact same thing that they were saying. And like, no, if you want to expand a new geographic markets and you want to do it in this organic way, you have to go find those people. There's no other way to do it. The good thing is they really stand out because when you start talking with people in the market, their name comes up over and over again. You should talk to so-and-so. Have you talked to her yet? Right. So it's just further validation that there are a couple of people that keep popping up in conversation. And those are the people you want to keep close to you because they're the ones that are going to help you 
draw more people in. Right. Great. Switch gears just a tiny bit. I would be interested in you, so you mentioned accounting earlier, uh, <laughs> and then maybe some 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 other fun personal things. What non work related fun thing are you learning right now? Okay, I can't say I'm learning. I can say I'm practicing. Love it. So I paint, and I my basement has a section where it's we're sitting at this countertop raised seat area in this cool boardroom at developer town. And my space is like an ugly boardroom is generous. (laughs) My, my basement is an uglier version of this with canvases and paint all over the place. So I, I'm working on a painting that for me is large, not compared to the story you were telling me before, but Mike wants to chainsaw giant sculpture. If it, what, what did you what did you sculpt, by the way? You didn't share that. No, we're moving on. Okay. Well, that should be its this own podcast. This is my podcast. show, dang it. You right, got to start, your, right, own, right, you right, gotta start right. your own podcast. So I'm working on a painting that is... It began from a photograph of my brother and I. We were lifeguards together when we were kids. And someone took it from a high dive looking down over us. We were floating. And my head and feet are one way and Scott's are in the opposite direction. So it started as that. I tried to paint it and I did such a miserable job at it. My husband actually commissioned one of his friends to paint this. And to me, it is one of my fondest memories of my brother. So, And also swimming. And, and swimming had such a profound effect on my life. And I, while I'm a better swimmer than the average Jane compared to real athletes. Man, I am molasses. But the metaphor, different swimming situations has been for me, has has been life-changing and has been amazing. So the painting, I didn't create, but I had the canvas that I had messed up on. And I I love when you have a, a messy painting that is hideous. That becomes the foundation for something else. So now I'm I'm using the background and I like to use a paint scraper. And so I'm using that as a background and I'm putting layers of of other things. And I really, I really like abstract painting. I think it's very difficult to do. I'm not a skilled painter. I'm not trained, but I found a painting that I started painting from. It looks completely different now, but I'm trying to to work on that canvas. And it's about three feet by four feet. So that'll keep me. That'll keep me going for a year. It's a good size canvas. Yeah. So every time you go downstairs to get like, I don't know, like a can of beans, like I might put, I might just play with it a little bit. So it's, it's a fun thing to go and keep building. That's interesting. Yeah. I never felt like with painting, I could tinker. I always felt like I needed to commit time. So you don't have that. You're like, you're comfortable just being like five, 10 minutes in and out. Yeah. But I will say when I go to like a wine and canvas, it's typically a very social thing. And I, by nature, am a very social person, except when I get to wine and canvas, I would prefer silence and that no one talks to me. Because, <laughs> because You're we, the person with Bose headphones on at a wine and canvas. That's a great idea. I'm going to do that next time. But the, the teacher is very clear about what we're going to paint. And when I look at it, I've decided what liberties I'm going to take. And then I'm at it for you know, the three hours. And 100% of the time I'm behind everyone in the classroom until I I get what I want to do. And then by the end, I'm usually the last one out, but man, I pull it together. And I have been genuinely satisfied with everything I've done at Wine and Canvas. Of all the ones I've done, I have only gotten one approved for the wall. 
the rest just became foundational paintings. But I will say the exercise is really satisfying. My, uh, you know, the the pottery places where you can yeah. go and pick a piece yeah. of pottery and paint it and they'll fire it for you and all yeah. that stuff. My wife has banned me from those activities. I'm not allowed to go anymore. Oh, no. Because the last time we went, she painted like an ashtray or something. I don't yeah. even, I, that's probably yeah. not fair. Spoon holder, because yeah. we still have it. Yeah. She painted a, a spoon holder, which took her like a normal human amount of time, like 45 minutes. Yeah. I spent 60 hours on a bowl. Wow. That we, I mean, we still have it and it, it, it is pretty cool, but like, she's like, no, never, Did I'm you just never keep doing this. Changing the idea around what you wanted? Nope. It's all the just execution, a meticulous execution of the original idea. And I'll text you a photo of it or something, but it's, uh, I, I mean, it is really cool. I'm, I'm very proud of it, but like, she was like, no, never, I'm never doing that again. That turned like, cause you know, but did it just feel good doing what you were doing? Yeah. I loved it because nobody's going to suffer. You can't screw it up. Nobody doesn't get paid if you don't do it, right? You can just play with it. It's just pure play. I love that about painting. I once spent two and a half hours with my favorite painter on earth, Rebecca Allen, who's in New York. I'll connect you with her the next time you go. She has this amazing gallery in the Bronx. We spent two hours mixing one paint color. And granted, she could do this much faster. But for me, matching a color doesn't matter what it is. Like I, I... I mean, and you're somebody who's pretty meticulous, but I'm talking like match it identically. We had more fun mixing different colors because every time you use either a different brand or acrylics or oils, it's a totally new color scale. So matching color was just, it was, it's more fun than I've had in ages. I, I could do that with a master for a very long period of time. We, I don't know how much we'd produce together, but the, the exercise itself of mixing the color, I find completely cathartic. That's cool. Yeah. All right. I'm glad I asked that question. (laughs) Um, Best business-related book you read last year Hmm. or listened to if you're an audible person? Yeah. Scott Jones talked to me about the entrepreneur operating system and traction. Yep. And I found a lot of the ideas interesting, However, I I am not going to thumbs up or thumbs down until I talk with people that have implemented this because I am a skeptic. I would like to be proven wrong, but I don't think I will. So those two gave me lots of good ideas. I'm always happy to learn from somebody who thinks it's a, you know, I, I think to be idea. proven wrong. Have you done like a level 10 meeting? I have not, but I have lots of people in my network who swear by it. I, I was at a luncheon today where two of the founders in the room use it, swear like they were just like preaching. Literally, one of the people was handing out books, traction books. She was such a big fan. <laughs> wow. Transform her business. Wow. There's lots of people in that peer group I mentioned that that, that are pretty big fanboys. I've read the book a couple of times. I've never- A couple of times? Yeah, I've read it twice. Oh, well, because I read it, I actually read it like, you know, that book has been out forever. Like it's a yeah. It, even though it became, it has become ridiculously popular in the last twenty four months. It's been out forever. So I read it Who when made it, it popular. I don't know. This is our new thing. We're I all have, paying attention to it. I now. have no idea. But I read it years ago and promptly forgot it because, yeah. which is one of my problems. I read so many books, like you can't retain, like you just uh, anyway. I can't retain it. So I didn't retain any of it. And then and then when it became popular, again, I was like. Hey, what was that book about? Like, right. I remember concepts like the accountability, not an org chart, an accountability chart. And like, you know, so like some of that stuff I remember. And I was like, okay, well, I, yeah, like it was good. I thought it was a good book. And I read it at the same time that I read, um, what's the 
the bakery, the apple pie bakery. And it's like, it's one of the, the work, work on your business, not in your business. I can't remember the, it's like I one of the seminal. I don't think I would have read it if it was about apples. If it, it was chocolate, I would have no, read it. No, it's, it's one of the seminal books in like, in building your business. I, I'm butchering this. But uh, anyway, I read it at the same time that I read that book, which a bunch of people said I should read. So I did. Didn't blow my hair back, but it, but it was, you know, it's fine. So then it becomes popular and I was like, okay, I got to read this again. So I read it again. Uh, maybe and it was so good. You can't remember its name. No, no, no. Traction. I read a second oh, time. Oh, oh, no, okay. I didn't read yeah. the, the Apple book, the other book. Yeah. It's one of the business fables. It's where like she's opening a bakery. Yeah. And th- so the book is about how she gets stuck working in the business and yeah. never takes time to work on the business. And so it never scales and, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Speaking of which, do you know that in Indianapolis, we have a store that just sells bunt cakes? That's all they sell. Really? Yeah. How long have they the been mall. in the business? About, I think they opened in the fall, but there are, no joke, it's a franchise and there's about 300 of them in the US. That's not real. Bunt cakes. Not real. It's real. No. They. I mean, they have a storefront and all they sell are bunt cakes. Nope. Not, I have no data to back up my belief, but I disbelieve this on in principle. I mean, I just, I'm not offered bunt cake that often. So <laughs> I'm not sure what flavors are available in bunt cake. Well, they're going to change I'm open. that. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So traction. Yeah. I think I'm going to try it in one of our businesses. I think I'm going to, I think I'm, I'm, I've just, I would be great because then I can ask you how it works in real life. We'll see. Okay. But but I, I'm actually, I've met enough people who are like, yeah, this it's real. Yeah. That I'm kind of like, okay, I should pay attention. I should at least experiment with it. Yeah. 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 So I think I'm going to experiment with it. Okay, cool. All right. Good answer. I like that. What is the biggest loss stop? When you look at, how how long have you been doing the startup ladies? Over four years now. All right. Over four years. When you reflect on missed opportunity, what what are maybe the number one or two stories that come to mind? I should have made it a for-profit membership LLC sooner. I should have started charging sooner. Probably could have done that a year into it, if not before then. And, I, and why didn't you? Why why didn't you do it sooner? You didn't think people would want to pay. You didn't think. Oh gosh, I, I don't. You didn't think, think I, it could be a real business. You're just not on your radar. Like I don't know that I was fully thinking like a CEO in year one. I think I was just trying to build relationships and solve problems. I didn't realize that building a business was the format for building relationships and solving problems. So. I would have, like I said, charged sooner. And then I think I would have figured out my financials sooner because we generated revenue in year one. I paid myself last year. What tech company does that in year one, right? That's awesome. Yeah. So I can... I can show how we're, especially at this time, I mean, thank you, feminists that have come before me. You've created opportunities. So now that women are taken very seriously, more women want to take risks and build scalable startups, and more women are in positions to write checks to resource those startups. So thanks to all of those factors, we now live in a time where I should and all the startup ladies should be successful. So I wish I would have had my financials in order to raise more money earlier on because what we could do if we had a couple of more staff, I mean, it, 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 would, it would be historically transformational. 
and we're changing history. We're changing in Indiana history right now. And I can't wait for us to be able to do what we're doing in, in other states. I'm ending on that. That's amazing. All right. The startupladies.org. Yes. That's right. You have meetings mostly Wednesday nights. Is that in right? In Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. It's the first and third Wednesday. And then in Terre Haute and Bloomington, that changes. And that's completely dependent on what those communities want to do. So I look forward to meeting folks at Startup Study Hall sometime soon. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Mike. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.